0: We want to tell you about a new show from Osiris, After Midnight. It tells the story of Fish's groundbreaking festival on the eve of the new millennium, Big Cypress
1: Was that the show where they built a whole city for their fans?
0: Yes, it is. They built a city for 80,000 fans in the Everglades and capped off the festival by playing for seven hours, ending the concert during Sunrise on January 1st, 2000.
1: That's the word epic in a nutshell right there.
0: This five-episode series includes interviews with band members Trey Anastasio and John Fishman, fans and crew, and looks back on one of the most unique performances in music history.
1: Go listen at OsirisPod.com slash After Midnight and enjoy. You'll be bouncing around the room. Hi, this is Carrie
0: Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose
1: McGowan. Right here.
0: Aisha Tyler. Tron Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth F- Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're
2: listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow!
3: What's up?
0: What is up? Happy New Year. Welcome to 2020 and welcome back to the Talk House Podcast.
1: I'm your host, Elia Einhorn, and joining me from Pittsburgh, PA... Nick Dawson, Editor-in-Chief of Film. I'm currently ensconced in my mother-in-law's office, and I am living the life.
0: (laughs) Balling your way into 2020, baby. I love it. Well, Nick, welcome back to the show. We have a very cool episode to kick things off over here. Singer-songwriter Damian Gerardo in conversation with Nick Thune ahead of their sad music, sad comedy tour that kicks off in just about a week.
1: I'm such a big fan of Damian Gerardo. It's really cool to have him on the podcast. I feel like he's one of the great singer-songwriters of this generation, and he's done so much work in the past 20, 25 years, and to me, at his pinnacle, he can't be topped.
0: Damien's released records over the years on iconic labels like Sub Pop and Secretly Canadian. He's currently releasing via Mama Bird Recording Company and Loose. His newest record was last year's. Nick, I can say last year's now. 2019 was last year. Yes. It was the record In the Shape of a Storm. Really beautiful that dropped last spring. Let's take a listen to one of those tracks. Which one do you want to play?
1: Yeah, let's play Throw Me Now Your Arms. Let me be the first to tell you
2: I would give up my life.
0: Every day as the tides grow close. Really beautiful stuff. His
1: ballads are just gorgeous.
0: Now, of course, Damien is the sad music part of this tour, but let's get to the sad comedy part. Nick Thune is a comedian actor from Seattle with... An absolute deadpan wit and totally absurdist outlook on life that he doles out over the soothing lull of his guitar.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating how he combines music with his comedy in such a unique way.
0: He does. And Nick, I'll just be honest. I think most comedians who try to bring music into their act fail miserably. He totally rocks it.
1: Listeners have
0: seen Nick over the last few years in some amazing shows. I'm thinking, don't trust the bee in apartment 23. Happy endings, burning love. He's made appearances on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, at midnight comedy, Bang Bang, and he's also graced the silver screen.
1: He had a cameo in Knocked Up. He was in Mr. Roosevelt, the Noel Wells movie that came out a couple years ago. He was in Mike Judge's Extract. Guy has been around. He's worked on some
0: amazing projects and worked with some amazing collaborators. One of them, quite notable to this talk, Richard Swift, the musician who played in the Black Keys and the Shins and produced many fantastic records including the legendary Stereo Lab's Letitia Sadier.
1: And also Nick Thune and Damien Jurada and, and the two of them met at one of the Richard Swift memorial concerts in 2018 and this sad music, sad comedy tour is in a way an extension of the legacy of Richard Swift and their friendship as well and it's really cool the way that they share stories on this episode about where with and being friends with Richard. Yeah,
0: it's evident from this conversation how much love and respect they had for Richard and also took some inspiration from him in a number of different areas, including Nick's getting sober. Richard Swift died of complications from alcoholism, and we hear about Nick's story, a first that I've ever heard, Nick of singing to hallucinations
1: he basically got sober because he recognized that he was on the same path as richard and could easily end up another casualty of alcoholism in early life if he wasn't careful it's such a great story because it sort of captures the humor and the and the pathos of this conversation There's a very funny conversation while they're talking about some very serious subjects
0: it is and along that line we get to hear how comedians wish they were musicians And how musicians wish they were comedians.
1: It's a classic conundrum. Are you going to be funny? Or are you going to be uh, a great singer? Or in this case, maybe those guys are actually kind of both, I would say.
0: Put them on tour. You got everything.
1: There we go. And on that note, they they do actually, on this very podcast, plan their tour and
0: (laughs) the things that they want to do. I love that. So Cracker Barrel, watch out because these dudes are coming for you. The guys also get into being terrible at school.
1: Yeah, it turns out you don't have to be an academic genius to be a successful comedian or a musician, which is reassuring.
0: That's good for me to know.
1: We have Nick teaching his kid manipulative behavior just to make him a better player at Made You Look.
0: Damien discovering the Beatles in his late 40s.
1: And the band that he desperately wanted to be a member of when he was a kid. Damien,
0: you put on that makeup and you can still do it, pal. I believe it. Should we roll the tape? Let's roll the tape. Well, Nick, here
2: we are.
3: Are we re- actually recording? Yeah.
2: Well, Nick, here we are. I didn't get are. the go-ahead. What?
3: I didn't get the go-ahead,
2: the recording go-ahead, so. Oh. Well, here we are. We-, we were just talking about chords, actually. You- we were talking about, like... What's your favorite chord? Well, my favorite chord is probably... Um, it's called a D minor 7. A D-M-7. What yeah. about
3: you? Oh <sighs> you know, I tend to gravitate towards C a lot. Why is that? And that's with the G undertone. Right. You know, where G, you where you use the pinky? Yeah, you throw the pinky on the G. I just think it sounds full and nice and and I feel like every guitar I can tell if it's in tune or not immediately if I play a C. Hmm. You would know. you say that would you
2: say that throw the pinky on the G sounds like <laughs> a <Limp> biscuit outtake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got like a B side, you mean? Right. It's yeah. Kind of like, it, it's like an, uh, it's like the unheard of B side to. Uh... And you know where
3: they came up with that was when? Remember when they were auditioning guitarists? They, no. They I did know. like a. I can't believe you can't remember. No. Well, they went on a. I mean, just a worldwide search to get their new guitarist. And apparently that's why they hired the guy. He came up with the put the pinky on the G. <laughs>
2: Which he he did it all for the pinky on the G. Yeah,
3: (laughs) yeah. God, what a great band to kind of model our tour off. I think.
2: Um, Tell me a little bit about your background, because you and I were actually kind of newer. We're not really friends, Nick. Let's just be honest. We're not friends. Okay, we're acquaintances.
3: Yeah, but this tour is going to change it. And oh, also, I need. I thought we could actually plan out the tour a bit on this. I'd be
2: into that because I don't know how we're getting from show to show. Um. Well, let's get on that in a little okay. bit because I do want to talk about that actually with you, and m- might as well just do it here and be open and honest with people. And <laughs> yeah. More revealing the uh-huh. better, I think. And we'll talk about what we like, what we don't like. Yeah. Exactly. Uh. So tell me a little bit about your background. You're from Seattle. Yeah. Are you technically from Seattle proper, or born re- in east Tacoma?
3: Side? Oh, okay, Tacoma. And then yeah, lived in Portland for seven years, okay. and then moved to the East Side, and then moved to Ballard. Ah, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you go to Ballard High School? No, Redmond High School.
2: Oh, okay. Wow.
3: Okay. So then I was in l-
2: Ballard for six years. Okay. So to get an Five. idea of your age, you just turned forty. Just turned forty on Sunday. So you'd yeah. have been eleven when Nevermind came out. Yeah, and then fourteen when Kurt Cobain went out. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy to to pick like an event and like time to, to determine how old a person is. Yeah. Do you remember hearing Nevermind at 11? Were you impressed at all? You know, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to figure out
3: when, what year um, Sabotage came out. Oh man. Because. I don't know. First of all, my, my concept of fame and how big Nirvana was, was very it, when 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 the people that are famous are from your city, like Ken Griffey Jr., for instance, mm. you know, like I don't know how much baseball you yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but Ken Griffey Jr., I didn't know he was famous all over the world until he was on The Simpsons. Like I wow. thought that he was just famous in Seattle, okay. and so I thought the same thing of Nirvana. Oh, okay. I I had no concept that everyone else knew who they were. Okay, and so I just assumed they were like a, a hometown famous band. Wow, and. Nirvana, or ne- never mind. I I like heard, and then I when I saw the video, obviously it was like, wow, this is cool because I I really responded this, yeah. to videos. Yeah, but then I, I would say sabotage is the first time that I was like, I f- I love guitar. Yeah, I want to learn guitar.
2: Yeah, and what an interesting way to be introduced to a guitar like that from a hip hop group. Yeah, have you ever seen that Letterman performance of that? Yes, oh, God. it's infamous. It's it's insane. It's so good. I mean. That was actually they are actually one of the first bands I ever saw, either alive or on TV, and listening obviously listening on record. Where you're like, wow, these guys are into a lot of different things. Yeah, you know, it's like
3: having a band where everybody's like, uh, you know, I mean, they all had the same kind of idea, right? But they all like different music, so yeah. it's so you know, like it's when you yeah. watch a band that totally dresses differently.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, and you're yeah. like,
3: wow, that guy, what's who brought that bass player in? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I got to say that when I first started writing music, I, I had no idea because I identified with this with the Beastie Boys actually because I was mm-hmm. like, these guys like everything and they want to obviously do everything. Yeah. Rock, soul, funk, hip hop. And I just remember thinking, man, that's, that's what I kind of want to strive to do. I don't want to ever be pegged or put in a hole mm-hmm. as far as like, genre is concerned because it would be pretty easy just to put you in folk exactly because you have cruise guitar yeah but my records don't even sound like that no 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 so you know speaking of the early 90s there was also that era you know that was when you heard like people like Beck who were pretty much doing again all over the map it wasn't just you know yeah because he came
3: out of like La Loser mm -hmm. to and then like an album where he played like Deborah. you know like that song and I was like whoa yeah 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 that's when I really wanted to sing. When I heard yeah. that song, I thought, how do you do that? Yeah. What was the first concert you ever attended? Oh,
2: it's embarrassing.
3: Go ahead. I mean, first like major stadium concert? Yeah. Boys to Men. Really? Yeah.
2: Tacoma Dome? Yeah. Nice.
3: Yeah, Tacoma Dome. But then I, you know, I lived in Redmond and so I would go to the Firehouse okay. in Redmond. Yeah. Which, I mean, you played at. Yeah. I used to go to hardcore shows there yeah then yeah. that that was just like pretty cool little thing in my little area yeah. of Seattle that wasn't that had a really eclectic you know and it was also just a place you could go hang out it
2: was a, Redmond the whole east side you know east of Seattle Bellevue Redmond and Kirkland they had a thriving all ages scene there yeah which Seattle you know had but it, it was difficult because we had the teen dance ordinance and things like that and like the one in that Kevin Bacon movie. Um, <laughs> was, uh, what was it? Footloose?
3: Yeah. You know where that yeah. you know dancing's illegal. Right. Yeah. Because,
2: Do you remember this in the early early nineties? It was like yeah, this Yeah, it was it was like yeah, and but the east side was great because you can go there and play and go to attend all ages shows and like I remember when Fugazi came to town most I saw two Fugazi shows on the east side because they couldn't play in Seattle because there was nowhere to really play yeah you know because all ages was it's such a weird thing you know but I mean it's
3: still the same thing with comedy where I get I don't know how often you get like messages from kids that are like I really wish I could come to your show can you get me in
2: yeah only my own 21 and over have your kids been to a show of yours? Uh, my oldest son, Miles, has been to maybe three shows. Uh, my youngest, Coltrane, has been to about, well, technically he went to one when he was an infant and then again when he was a little bit older, but I don't know. I, I, my kids don't really care about yeah. my music. I mean, they do care about my music, actually. You know, My, my oldest son, Miles, helped me actually arrange one of my records, uh, wow. which is really cool. But uh, what about your kid? Is, is has, Miles, there... has Miles ever been to Canada? Um. <laughs>
3: yes. Yeah, and did they enjoy him there? Or they they think... did, did. they get him at all?
2: Uh, I don't think that he gets it. Yeah. Okay. What is your something about you? can't not about you as a person or a dad. Yeah. But yeah. Does he think you're funny?
3: Yes. Yeah, yes, and okay. he, and I've heard him telling his friends that he has the funniest dad.
2: Oh, that's awesome.
3: Also, at his birthday party, um, this last—he's six now. At his birthday party, we—they were around the table, and I said, "I said, hey, why don't we all go around the table and say what we think is really cool about towns?" (laughs) That sounds like (laughs) such a lame thing to do, but uh,
2: that's that's actually a very parent thing to
3: do. Yeah, and the and the first kid, his buddy goes, uh, "He's funny." That's it. He's just funny and I could tell that he is kind of the funny guy and I've taught him I taught him this interesting thing that people have been on either side of me teaching him Um, so my family I grew up playing a game called made you look Mm -hmm. and you know the most basic term of made you look is me saying like Oh my God, looking over. Who who brought a Lamborghini Countach into the studio? And then you turn around and it's like, right. gotcha. There's no Countach in the right. studio, you idiot. Right. <laughs> made you look. And so my family does that on like an extreme level where it's been okay. like, you know, the, some of the worst versions of it. Like so, somebody looking for something for a half hour because you're at the airport and can't get in. And then right. it's like, you send a picture of your passport and you're like, made you look. Right. <laughs> right. I like it. And uh, with, so with Towns, I I was teaching him that. And then yeah, I would do a made you look on him and get him every time because I'm, pretty good, and uh, then he immediately would try and do it on me, like no break, no break and waiting, just immediately try and do it, and I go, listen, here's what you need to do, after I do it, you need to refresh, it's like when you eat sushi and eat ginger, mm. he's like, what's su- sushi, and I'm like, let's figure something else out here, but it, you need to distract me, right. and then get me, so... Most people want to talk about themselves. Yeah. So right after I do that, you should ask me a question about me and act interested in it and let me, watch me move on from the made you look. And then once I moved on, then you get me. Right. So I was teaching him how to manipulate people. Wow. <laughs> in a weird, odd way. But then he figured it out and that day got his mom on this like the same thing and it really worked great. And I think it's teaching him really good brain yeah. exercise, but... It is manipulation. Here's a question for you
2: then: On that, is funny learned, or is funny natural? Hmm. You know,
3: I think it's learned. I think I learned. My dad was just so Mm. good and funny. You know, like good timing. I mean, I think it's probably like the way that singing is. Mm. You know, like if you grow up around a singer and they're singing, you're gonna kind of move into that, right? Yeah.
2: Well, I didn't... It's, the thing that was, it's funny about that. This is a good question for you because I didn't grow up in a musical family. Neither of my yeah. parents were musical whatsoever. At all. At all. Neither of my brothers or my sisters were either. And I grew mm. up in a big family. And Were they ever into bands and music and stuff? No. No, I I, I grew up... My My dad had a few, you know, like Frank Zappa records or you know yeah I, you know the radio wasn't always on in my house i didn't grow up with the beatles i'm presently right now going like discovering the beatles at age 47 yeah cuz as a kid i didn't grow up with them and, and then you just try
3: to act like you knew them the whole time and then finally you're <laughs> like wait a second <laughs> Why do not I actually...
2: <laughs> right. No, I didn't pretend to... I didn't pretend to now. I mean, uh-huh. my surroundings as a kid were... I mean, even the neighborhoods I grew up in, nobody listened to the Beatles. Their parents weren't listening to the Beatles. Yeah. So anyways, but nobody in my family was a musician. But I loved music. I loved music and I loved, you know, painting and things like that. And again, nobody was. Nobody in my family was a visual artist either. Uh, it just sort of happened. So my upbringing was just listening to lots of music and then deciding, wow, that's a really, I think i to maybe do that, you know? Yeah. And even that was kind of a, a learn-as-you-go thing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, did you, like, listen to Neil Young at all when you were young? No. My yeah. upbringing was basically this. I grew up in a house with no music, really, for the most part. Christian? No, my, my, my mom was Mormon. Oh. Um, so... I'm technically, like, you could say a Christian. I'm not going to get into that debate, but yeah. yeah. So I grew up in a Mormon household, um, not strict at all. My parents were very liberal, you know, uh, as far as like religion goes. So, in politics, or yeah, even politically speaking, they were very yeah. liberal um, people. So yeah, I didn't. I didn't have. It wasn't like you know, I didn't have access to music or whatever. I I did have that, you know, but. Um, I, I just sort of fell into music, and I, I knew that's what I wanted to do, you know. Yeah. So, but it's all been a learning process. But speaking of funny, there's this, there's this one of my favorite interviews is with I've ever heard in my life. I, is this um, Lenny Bruce interview? Mm-hmm. He's being interviewed at this radio station, and he's given the definition of what's funny and what is not funny, and he's doing it by actors and versus comedians. He'll say, like, W.C. Fields, funny. Mm. Jerry Lewis, not funny. Mm. Uh, Jonathan Winters, funny. Merylton Burl, not funny. And this interview has stuck with me for a long time. Because one of the things that I did grow up around, uh, my dad actually did enjoy, was comedy records. So I did, I did have a knowledge about comedians. Red Fox, you know people like Lenny Bruce, Jonathan Winters, like i like just wow. named, you know, so George Carlin, Bill Cosby. That's pretty cool
3: the George yeah. Carlin thing cuz I didn't really understand George Carlin. He didn't until I would say my 30s when I really mm-hmm. was like I this is feel like this is something I've really skipped.
2: So he's like so you'd say almost like he's like your version like I thought he was like
3: Bill and Ted, you yeah. know, like I, I I was like like yeah, that guy that kind of showed up in movies randomly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He's
3: yeah. like your dirty
2: uncle. Yeah.
3: But now when you listen to his stuff, you're like, man, he was so ahead of his you're time. Right. And so funny and smart. Yeah. You know?
2: When did you first know that when did you first realize this is what I want to do? Like comedy. It was And was there anything before that that you that you aspired to do? I wanted to be a musician.
3: Really okay. bad. I, I really would fantasize about being on stage, but I I um you know, it's partially the thing of I loved having a room of people watching me.
2: Yeah.
3: And being able to be interesting enough for them to just be quiet and watch. And so that's I think where it started. I really loved having attention. Mm. And then when I had that attention, how long can I keep it? Yeah. How long can I like keep them watching me? And a lot of my stand up in the beginning too was like sometimes it wasn't really that funny because I was learning how to write and stuff. But I was pretty interesting on stage because I was kind of into a character mm. that demanded some sort of attention, mm. you know, which people would kind of give me either way. And then I would, you know, eventually learn how to make it funny. But yeah. my dad is, his storytelling and stuff is what, when I watched him and watch people listen and watch him talk, I thought I want to have that attention from people, yeah. you know? Yeah. I don't know, did you think about performing in front of people with music or did you just like music?
2: No, it was always in my head, you know, as a young kid, I I just thought like I'm gonna be in KISS one day, you know. Oh wow. I'm gonna be the next guitar player of Kiss or singer of Kiss, even though I don't know how to sing and I sure hell didn't play a guitar and own one, you know. That was my goal when I was a kid. Yeah. Um somewhere I have this somewhere I have a drawing I did where it was like uh this you know, I'm projecting myself in Kiss on a drawing, and I still have it somewhere. That's and it's pretty funny, age, age. Kiss. Yeah. Do you ever do one of their songs? No, actually, I've never have. I'm not really big on covers. so, yeah. No. You did that covers album with Richard Swift, though. I did. Yeah. I, I, did. I love that
3: album. That album. Thank that you. Is so. And you guys just shot it. I mean, did it in a weekend, right?
2: We did it. In, we did it in a day. Yeah. That was insane, yeah. Other people's songs. Are there another set of songs? Well, that's what we were supposed to be working on yeah. before he passed. So, uh-huh. How did you end up meeting Richard? Through his manager. Okay. Yeah.
3: When I got my first record deal, I got a budget and I wanted to make songs that were like me singing. They weren't live like mm-hmm. in front of a stand-up audience, but I wanted them to be very unique. And, mm-hmm. and um, the bully... Yeah, his all like that's what drew me into Richard in the first place. Yeah. And then everything else. And but I just thought it, you know, I want somebody like this. And I actually remember the first thing Richard said when we were like, when I got to Cottage Grove and got in there, we were just talking about our ideas. And I had like, you know, these five songs that were like kind of there and not there. And I think I was talking like, you know, I wanted to sound cool in some weird way. Yeah. And he was like, he's like, listen. You're not going to sound cool. <laughs> that's that would be going. Uh, that's that's not what we're doing here. We're not uh, here to right. make you sound cool. Right. And that just clicked in my head. And what he did in the studio. I mean, do you know Alex Cameron? Do you listen to his music? Uh, at a all? little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I love his music. And yeah. and Roy, his saxophone player, yeah. was over at my house. Okay. And I played him one of the songs that Richard and I did together. And he just he was like, "So you guys did our sound like twelve years ago?" And I was like, "I mean, yeah, Richard." was so ahead yeah we basically made that keyboard synthy sort of a thing and it's when I play for people they're just like that's so it's so good I mean I remember right when it came out even this kid Bo Burnham that's like really into music and comedy Mm. he was like those five tracks on your album I think nobody has heard them I don't understand why but they're so interesting and strong Mm. and so Richard and I just really connected over that week that I stayed there Mm. because we really just took our time and fucked around yeah It's the first time I ever hung out with a musician in a studio and like really saw what that was like. Mm. One day he played me like three songs that he'd recorded that week or something and his wife came in and it was just silent. We listened to these three songs and afterwards her adoration and appreciation of what he had done, she just was blown away and in love with him about it. And I remember thinking like, man, I hope someday I have a wife or my wife or somebody is that. Into yeah. what I'm making,
2: yeah, <laughs> you know, it was, just, it was just completely
3: blown away. Yeah, just and it was beautiful, and the songs were beautiful. I don't think those songs ever even came out. I mean, I can't even imagine the amount of yeah material that he had. That yeah, but we just really kind of hooked up there, and and mm. yeah, became good friends.
2: Were you were you and how in touch were the, with him? Were you uh, during the last year of his of his being alive?
3: Pretty in touch in the sense of um, like every couple weeks at least. And and a lot of them were voice memos. Like yeah. the amount of voice me- you know, memos I have <laughs> yeah. from him yeah. are insane. Of we had an ongoing mushroom joke of yeah. like, he found out that my father in law at the time owned a place that cans mushrooms. And we had this joke about like my first time meeting him just being like, Yeah, mushrooms and he's <laughs> like, No, I mean they're just, you know, can it's like, Yeah, I got him, man. <laughs> mushroom. <laughs> you know, yeah. just the guy that never yeah. gets it. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, that's the thing. His sense of humor was great, but then we spoke um, a week before it all crashed. Yeah, for probably two hours, and a lot of stuff that I didn't know was happening came out in that phone call. Oh. Um, But he assured me that he was like he was. He told me he was in the parking lot about to check himself into a, a place. But that's that. Then then that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And then in hospice, where I know he didn't understand anything, but
2: yeah. It's strange, stranger. Because you knew him from, I mean... I met him in 2009. Yeah. You know, um, I remember... That's the year I met
3: him. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, crazy. I guess 2008 or something, like right around there, yeah. Because my album came out 2009, I think.
2: Yeah, wild. Yeah, um, I met him back then, the summer of 2009. And uh, I remember just, you know... I'm Secret Canadian who I was with at the, with at the time we both run Secret Canadian records and it was Chris Swanson's idea of, uh, who owns the record label one of the owners of, of secretly Canadian said you know you should work with Richard Swift and Richard and I actually had a lot of friends in common though I had never met Richard and I was like okay well I own his records and I was like hmm this will be very interesting I'll see what, he's, see what he says and so I yeah. s- called him and I said do you want me to send you demos and he just was just like nah, just fuck that. Just come on, just come down, you know, with the guitar, and we'll just we'll just go from there. I was like, what does that mean, like, go from there? Like, Are we, are we doing a record? Are we not doing a record? Yeah. So I made, like, I you know, made the drive down from Seattle to Cottage Grove, Oregon, and showed up, and I walked in the studio, and there was a just a single chair and a microphone, and that was it in this room. And there was no headphones, there was no nothing. And it was very close to the console, and we were about as close as you know, just seemed like just yeah. across from me, like this close. And he said, "Well, do you want to try try something?" And I said, "Sure," but I still wasn't sure if we were making a record yet or not. Uh-huh. That's what was so weird. I was like, "I think this is. I think we're making a record here. I don't." And then I did one song, and then he recorded it, and then he just goes, and then the tape was still rolling, and he said, "You want to do another?" And I said, "Sure." And then. I did ten songs in a row, almost as if I'm performing for him. Mm-hmm. And then he stopped the tape and was like, "Cool, I think we should go get a burrito." <laughs> I know the exact place you guys <laughs> got a burrito too. Yeah. <laughs> and so wow. we went to go get a burrito, and then we went to the of Records to go record shop. Yeah, he in took me Grove, in there uh, in Eugene. Everyone knew him. Yeah, everyone knew him. And I, and, <laughs> but the, the, but the drive, the twenty mile drive from Cottage Grove to Eugene, I just kept thinking did we just make an album? Like, is this it? Like, I don't know what's going on. And then he said, and then he said to me, cause we weren't even, we weren't even talking about the recording. He just said, um, you're going to love this burrito place, you know, blah, blah, blah. we kept, He kept talking about the burrito and we'll go to House of Records and they have some cool stuff. And I said, okay. And then, um, and then at some point he goes, um, Hey Dee, did you want to just like maybe go back and just lay down some bass and maybe some drums? Or I was like, Sure, I think. But that was when I realized, okay, we're making a record. But yeah. after all that, he was so just nonchalant and so easy to work with. Yeah, you know, always. What was that record? Saint Bartlett. Saint Bartlett. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I just had no idea I was making the record. I just, I knew I was going down to meet him. Yeah, and you know, possibly record some songs with him. But I, there was no agenda. Uh-huh. You know. And I, and I think that he really wanted it that way because I think if he'd said to me okay this is gonna be the record these are the takes I think I think you would have gotten different performances out of me you know yeah
3: that's also partially you know when you like land in a city and you have zero time before you perform right. or you arrive and it's just like get on stage it's one right. of those situations where yeah. you get there you're kind of like still you try just traveled <laughs> like right.
2: And you probably gave a pretty true performance. Yeah, I feel I did because every song he would just say, "I would finish a song," and he would say, "All right, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it sounds great. Let's keep going." You know, I wish he would have saved a lot of the banter that happened in between takes because there would have been there would have been a lot of it. You know, that would have been interesting. Yeah, been a lot of it. But I remember, you know, I I'd never, you know, when he passed, I had a. A very difficult time. I still am having a difficult time yeah. uh, with, his, with his passing. I remember when he passed, I remember thinking to myself, how long does one grieve somebody uh, after they pass? Yeah. That,
3: I I really, too, um, it was just so fast, you know? And yeah. he did seclude himself a lot towards the end, so it was hard to know really what was happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the other day I got something, something hit me and it really, you know, that time when we had the show at Largo and I was like, yeah. how cool would it be if Richard saw yeah. us doing this, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you've you been very open about your own sobriety. Yeah, yeah. Did did having your time with Richard, did have, how did that affect your sobriety?
3: I mean, I, at the time when Richard and I spoke that last time, both of us realized for the first time that each other were drinking the same amount, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, we were basically on the same path, mm-hmm. except he was maybe maybe a year ahead of me at, as doing it or two years or I don't know what. But mm. um, And I knew I was dying. I just knew I could feel it. I'd wake up with my legs numb at night, I had my heart pounding. I would be drinking at two, four, yeah. three in the morning, Yeah, you know. Just and drinking up to you know one and a half to two bottles of vodka a day, wow. and that's basically what he was doing with with his dirty gym, mm-hmm. tequila. And when he died, it threw me into a the worst alcoholic state I'd ever been in. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: yeah.
3: I mean, you didn't come to the show in Portland that, that I put together, no. and with Rado, yeah. But um, after the show, I I barely remember this, but we went to a bar. And everybody goes in the bar, all the musicians and stuff in Portland. And um, I was the last guy, and the guy just goes, uh, yeah, you can't come in. And I was like, what, why? And and I was like, I'm with all the-. And like the manager even came out and was like, yeah, he's okay to let in. And he was like, he's not. And I just was like, why? And he said, you just, something's not right with you. And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> something's very not right with me. And I like went back and to my friend's house that I was staying at. But it really got to a point of me being so fucking drunk that I really couldn't do much. Yeah. Like where Richard was at. Yeah. And then I had to finally check myself into a rehab. But it, that came in a, at a hard time too because I got Lyme's disease. So it all kind of happened yeah. at the same time. Yeah. But um, also when you're drinking like that, you'll use anything to really propel you. Yeah. But Richard's death hit me in a way to where I, I mean, it just didn't make sense. Right. Right. And it was just so weird that I just talked to him. Yeah. But that really is what pushed me into sobriety. Yeah. I mean, I knew that I was going to die that death. Yeah. And I was not that far from it.
2: Yeah. Do you find here's a good here's an interesting question. Do you find um because he was Richard was very funny. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like naturally funny. I, I always have this theory that I find a lot of musicians want to be comedians. Yeah. And comedians want to be musicians. Yeah. That's what I'm finding. And I know a lot of people who are in the music world that are just fucking hilarious, man. They're very hilarious. But but if you said to them, hey, write a bit, they couldn't do it to save yeah, their no, lives. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But that's also the interesting thing about musicians
3: and banter. You know, like I'm not sure what you how how often this would happen to you, but where you really like somebody's music and then mm. you see them perform live in their banter and you're just like, Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> like, please stop talking. Yeah, just yeah. Give, give us the songs, please. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because they have a captivative audience in the sense that they're there to hear the music, so they're going to listen to what they say. Yeah. And so then that, thinks, right. that makes them think that like what they're saying is more important, but really they're just like, right. Song.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right.
3: That will laugh and kind of giggle at what you're saying until you get to the song. Yeah. If that's going to make you happy. Or,
2: yeah. Do you, know, do you know, or can you name uh, one of the funniest musicians you've ever seen live? Well, I would say Richard probably mm. is in that
3: category. Yeah. But he also, what I loved about his live performances, though, when you watch it, like, everything is basically said, like, <laughs> in a way that, I don't know, it's like he's still a performance. It's yeah. like it's all part of the song almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Tillman's pretty funny.
2: Yeah, Jay Tell Tillman, Josh, uh, Father John Mesty, yeah, hilarious.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And funny in regular life, yeah. too. Yeah, hilarious. yeah, hilarious. I don't know but I don't really think any musicians are really like like they just don't get yeah I don't know comedy is such a weird thing because I remember I brought Josh Tillman to see he came with me to the improv to like I had a set and Sarah Silverman went on yeah and she was going off notes and Josh just didn't didn't like it didn't get that because you know why would you go on stage and not know like to a T what you're doing hmm and i i kind of was like i guess that is like you guys learn songs and or it's your song or it's a cover song or whatever and you just have it and it's going to be perfect you know it's going to be mm-hmm. beautiful and good and and with comedy it's going to be ugly sometimes you know you're going to fuck up on stage you're going to yeah. say something that doesn't
2: work you know well wait till josh uh, becomes like my age or unless unless he can you know really memorize the hell out of his category you know for what he's doing he seems cal- to catalog. really know how to do that i don't know how i don't know how he does either honestly cuz I mean, his songs are lyrically they're they're pretty intense and yeah. lengthy. Yeah. And uh, a lot of words there, man. And I just think, man, I have a lot of words and I need I have a notebook I, I read from every night, you know. Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing Before tours, that's how you prepare you you here's how I prepare. I make sure all the lyrics are in my notebook and I'll bring the notebook with me. I yeah. have two notebooks I travel with and, and those notebooks are Pretty much every song I've ever written. Yeah. So. Written, handwritten, or? No. God, no. What are you doing?
3: I'm not there's, that creative. No. But there's something about handwriting, too, that's, that puts something into memory, you know?
2: Uh, there, yeah, there is, but unfortunately, I can't read my own handwriting. I'm, I'm really horrible at it, so. Yeah. Were I, you good in school, by the way? No. Horrible. You were horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, I'm a special
3: ed kid, so. Yeah. <laughs> When I went to community college, I had to take a test to get in, you know, so they know what you you know. Yeah. And based off my test, they put me into an ESL class. Really? Wow. <laughs> but I didn't try very hard. I never tried hard, so. Yeah. Wow. And I was just thinking, though, about memorizing things. Like, I will handwrite my set every night, even if I'm going to do something similar. Yeah. Because it does put it in my head just the the, the physicality of just handwriting mm-hmm. it which i'll do for auditions and stuff too sometimes yeah. just to like see myself write it
2: yeah yeah i don't have set lists i walk up on stage and I basically i always know what song i want to play first before mm-hmm. i go on stage and that's it from there wow. i just sort of let things happen so on a tour it's just random it's super random I could be playing, like, I could start off with a brand new song that no one's ever heard of before and then go into the second song being from my first album from 1997. Yeah. It's so all over the map. That's pretty great, though, because I do feel
3: like sometimes when I get to a show and I know it's already pre-planned, you're like, well, it's probably not, if it's pre-planned, it's probably not that far off from, they're probably working off 20 songs and maybe change three out from last night. Yeah. You know, and... And, they, and, like, they just know, like, the band—when you see a band where it's, like, the drummer starts going between the songs, right. you're like, oh, yeah, they're all just, like— Yeah. There's no wild cards here. There's no, no, no. That's cool to know.
2: Can that happen in comedy to where, you know, you have bits, but do you ever improv or kind of go on? Oh, yeah. Like riff. yeah.
3: Yeah, and that happens when you're the most comfortable on stage and and the audience is, I mean, mostly when the audience is with you. Yeah. I would say, though, that my set list goes, like, do you ever, the next song that you choose, is it based on what you want to do or is it based on how you feel the audience is
2: reacting? For me, it's never the audience. I always say this, when I'm up on stage, I barely even know the audience is there. Yeah. I'm kind of, like, working shit out on stage. It's almost like people bought a ticket to see me, like, you know, do therapy. Yeah. It's basically how it is. And so every song is basically, you know, emotional for me.
3: Yeah. God, there's a this really hard moment of me when I was in rehab where they had a guitar in rehab and they just put it in my room. You know, I was in like one of those nice like Malibu places. But, yeah. You know, the beginning of rehab was so bad that I got sent to the hospital because they couldn't keep me alive in the rehab.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, but those two days that I was in there before I got sent to the hospital were, I mean— I was having DTs, which is a delusional yeah. tremor things. And um, I was in the midst of a really long delusional thing. And I thought there was this group of women that were in my room. And they were watching me breathe as I was like sleeping and talking about my breathing. And, and, you know, the whole thing was very, I just didn't really know. And at one point I sat up and started playing the guitar. And it was all kind of under this guise that I knew. They didn't know that I knew that they were there. So mm-hmm. I was, like, just performing for them, you yeah. know? And I started playing these Towns Van Zandt songs. And in my thing, I, I, my, my hands were so shaky, I couldn't play, really. Yeah. And one of them said, like, you know what? This is too sad. Let's leave. He can't even play the guitar anymore. And I remember that was such a breaking point. And then I hit reality for a second, and I could hear the, the guy in the room next to me, the security guard talking to him. And he's like, do you want us to tell him to stop playing? Because I was, like, screaming and playing these songs. Mm. And he was like, no, it's not that bad. He's playing some Towns fans and some Neil Young.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right, yeah. But
3: I remember that the raw emotion that I had in those, God, I couldn't imagine like going on stage and and showing emotion and, you know, playing songs emotionally. I guess that was a long way to get to that, but. Yeah. So let's talk about this upcoming tour. Yeah. We've got, so far it's planned. We know the venues. We know where we're going. Yeah, yeah. do you want to drive between? I think we should drive. It's all possible. Like every city is. Yeah. Okay.
2: Well, how do you do it? On, how do you do it on your on your comedy tour? You just yeah, to mostly. I mean, if it's mapped out. Yeah. Uh huh. I'm the same way. So I basically just get my guitar, and hop in a car, and go a rental car, and go. Yeah. So you're cool with just driving in a car. Yep. Okay. Are you cool. gonna have any groupies on tour? Or? No, no groupies. Okay. I don't have group? I'm not really a groupie person. So. What about you? Do you have groupies? No. 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 Um, here's, a, here's a question for you. Do you have hotel preferences? No. None? I mean, I like a comfortable hotel. I mean, I'm not really into motels. So, are you, so if I said to you, hey, man, I have this thing about like Marriott's. You like them? Yeah. Cool. Or like Hilton. Great. Yeah. you cool with that? Yeah. Okay. What if I said to you, um, hey, um, I want to stop at this Cracker Barrel? Cool. Really? Yeah. How are you what's your breakfast? What do you are you are you into breakfast? I like a coffee. I'll
3: probably have like protein bars that I'll like. I, I mean I, I'll sit down and eat breakfast if that's what you want to do. I'll eat eggs and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah or I'll just eat on the go. I'm okay. okay. Yeah. So cause here's the thing about me. I'm super flexible. Are you? Yeah.
2: But here's the thing about you're also from a you're also a Pacific Northwesterner, which means you're naturally passive aggressive. So let's talk about this, Nick. Okay. If I have if I want to go to Cracker Barrel every morning. Yeah. Would you be okay with that?
3: Yeah. <laughs> as long as we just like, the, I think the best part about doing those sort of things is like the night before, like I'm, I'm really good about like, I like time. So it's like, okay. okay yeah. So let's just say what time we want to get on the road. Yeah and then work backwards so okay if we want to be on the road at this time then what time does that mean breakfast yeah and then we just do that well, I'll
2: tell you what because we're gonna be in the northeastern part of the United States we might be
3: dealing with snow
2: well snow but we also gonna have a lot of time because the drives are shorter yeah so I'm all about the noon checkout okay yeah Me that's great personally yeah what about um, in the car what do you like to do you like to listen to music you like audio books like what's your deal yeah
3: conversation music yeah um podcast I don't care yeah either way okay you know I'm only comfortable when the other person's comfortable
2: wow dude you know what you're a lot like me
3: yeah
2: which means we're going to be worried the entire time if the other person's very comfortable this might be a very anxiety filled tour
3: you know what I really like too which if you don't like it that's fine what rest areas you love them I just love pulling in even if it's for a minute (laughs) getting out reading the like you know little information about the area that's awesome that's yeah. awesome.
2: Um, Getting to know I, the
3: locals a little.
2: I would do tours. or I, Here's the thing. I always try to make tours very fun. Yeah. Right? Especially if I'm on my own. Yeah. So there's this great app called, I think it's, like, it's basically like you're looking at roadside attractions. Oh, yeah. You're into that yeah. stuff? Like the world's biggest ball of yarn is 10 love miles it. ahead,
3: dude. Yeah. That and also like, I, I'll tell you what, I love a visitor
2: center. Yes. <laughs> you, do you ever get maps? Yeah. Even though you're, you're probably not going to go stay yeah. or,
3: Yeah, fun decorations for inside the car, too.
2: That's awesome.
3: So a lot of times they have popcorn, too, at the visitor center, like the Oklahoma visitor center. What a great place. And this woman, Sandy, there.
2: You remember her name?
3: Yeah, because she talked to me for a while, and she's like, here's a secret. It's five miles off the highway, but a guy that I dated in high school, and she's like 75. She's volunteering there. She's like a guy I dated in high school runs it. And it was like this like swimming hole that you people pay like a park to yeah. go into. And I went to it and swam in it and saw the guy there. And I was like, Sandy sent me. And he's like, oh, that old bird. <laughs> Feisty. And he'll let you wear his prosthetic leg. Okay, I've got to be honest here. I've got cleaners showing up in my house in 14 minutes.
2: Okay. Well, we'll wrap this up and just say, Well, Nick, it was good talking to you. Hmm. Here's to a here's to a here's to a great tour called the what's the name of the tour again? Sad music, sad comedy. Sad music, sad comedy tour with Nick Thune and Damien Girado. And I look forward to being on the road with you. It's going to be a, a good time. And this and who is, knows maybe we'll get married. That would be insane.
3: Totally like shotgun. What would
2: you do if I started doing your lines <laughs> from like from like from like previous albums? Like between that'd be great. Between if you were, like, songs in between songs. Yeah. That'd I'll, be nice. I'll do like the, the Nirvana joke. What does it go? Like
3: A lot of times comedians like ask the other comedian like if they're like the ones going up last or like, hey, do you mind not doing that dad piece? Cause I kinda do dad stuff. So with you, I'll be like, Hey, do you mind not doing like uh any C chords? Cause I kinda do a lot of C chords. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Could be good. I should try it out one night where I'll memorize like some of your one-liners from previous albums, like your Nirvana joke, the Coteroy joke. Yeah. And I'll see if People recognize that I'm doing it. Maybe so that could be kind
3: of how we open as you try a few out.
2: <laughs> I do your bits yeah. from previous records. <laughs> See how like, like, This guy's he's
3: a musician, but he, he do it all, really. God,
2: he's really funny.
3: Yeah. I'm, I'm nervous that the music people are going to leave. No, they won't. They better not if they're
2: listening. No, they won't. No, they won't at all. My fans are really cool, man. Yeah, yeah. I bet. I don't have asshole fans. I bet that we hit the same... Audience. I'm sure you have very cool fans yeah what's your bro ratio like I mean it's just
3: a lot of dudes that look like me with girlfriends that are confused as to that's why they're there that's right, right. <laughs> That's right. okay well they're definitely gonna
2: love my music though yeah alright mm-hmm. okay well good next thanks for coming in today yeah. and talking with me and make sure you're, you're a better interviewer right than I am I really? think really? yeah uh, okay.
3: yeah
0: Nick Thune, Damian Gerardo. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Talk House podcast. For some fantastic pictures of the guys together, check out our socials. That's at Talk House across the board.
1: And of course, stemming off from this podcast, there's so many cool people that you can go revisit in conversation uh, in our archives. We have Noel Wells, who directed Nick Thune in Mr. Roosevelt. She's in conversation with Sashir Zameda. We have Robert Schwartzman, who directed Nick in Dreamland, him talking to his brother, Jason Schwartzman, and Damien Girardo's BFF, David Bazan, a.k.a. Pedro the Lion, talking with Tom Berlin. Also, the singer-songwriter Alex Cameron
0: got a really nice shout-out in this conversation. Definitely check out the past episode featuring him and Japanese Breakfast's Michelle Zahner. That was from Pitchfork Fest 2018, I believe.
1: There's also a great piece called Remembering Richard Swift by Hamilton Lighthouser, members of Foxygen, Delta Spirit, and a bunch of other awesome bands, which is just such a nice tribute to him, which is well worth reading too.
0: That's over at talkhouse.com. Today's conversation was recorded by Eric Renniker at Bedrock LA, and by our co-producer, Mark Yoshizumi in Brooklyn at Hook and Fade Studios. Also, of course, Nick Dawson was recorded by the one and only Nick Dawson at his mother-in-law studios, LLC.
1: For my sins. <laughs> the Talkcast podcast theme song was composed and performed by The Range.
0: Make sure to subscribe to the show. We have an amazing month ahead here, including conversations between Blood Orange, aka Devante Hines, with Beverly Glenn Copeland, Susie Quattro in conversation with Donita Sparks of L7, and recorded at LA Comic-Con, actors Juliana Harkavy and Ryan Hurst. Till next week, I'm Elia Einhorn. I'm Nick Dawson. Peace! And Happy New Year.